0: Everybody, welcome back to Critical Thinking, Episode Forty Four, where we talk about Critical Role, Episode Thirty Three, Return to Vasselheim. I think One that's correct. We'll get
1: that. I think so. One of these days we'll get that. We'll we'll get that. Uh, no, we won't. I don't know how we would even do that. We would
0: have to. We would have to have an episode talking about uh, some form of ancillary Critical Role content that doesn't actually directly correlate to an episode. Like and one then of the it battle
2: would... royales?
0: royals. Yeah. And then it would no no because we're behind so that wouldn't even well yeah no because then that would be if we're behind so if they skipped no, an it... episode.
2: Hi guys, we haven't even made it through the introductions and we've already digressed. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I'm John at Johnny Bates I'm on Twitter. So
0: proud of us. <laughs> I'm John at Johnny Bates on Twitter. Uh, joining me today is Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm at
2: jthomas411mania on Twitter. And Jack. Hey, everybody. I'm Jack. I'm at altf4gamers on
0: Twitter. And uh, we're talking about Return to Vassilheim star- this week. Starring Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Towson Jaffe as Percy, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel, Don, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlan, Travis Willingham as Grog, Matthew Mercer as Dungeon Master, and guesting Will Friedle as Kashaw Vesh, and Mary Elizabeth McGlynn as Zara Hydrus. Uh so yes. What happened last time on Critical Role? Cuz it's been a while. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit. It's been it's been it's been a minute. I have a to, a minute I just energy. have
1: to say I'm super excited about this because I wrote up my section like 3 weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm gonna be flat honest with you. I did not watch sense. <laughs> I watched it fully at that point. I have not
2: watched sense. It's okay. I didn't write anything down, but I watched my section twice. <laughs> I rewatched the last time. Uh tonight.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> I rewatched mine tonight as well, so we'll be we'll be good. We'll be, good. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Yeah. I was
1: hoping you were gonna say six months ago. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, but last time on Critical Role there were dragons and shit Yes,
0: last time on Critical Role the party uh, had finished fleeing from uh, the Kerma Conclave which had crashed down into Iman uh, Western was under attack uh, Grayskull Keep was under attack Shit was fucked and people were dying and they fled from they fled from Grayskull Keep to Whitestone uh, left a bunch of people there and then went from Whitestone to Vasselheim which is where we pick up with Return to Vasselheim uh, the party gets back to Vasselheim for the first time in quite a while, uh, 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 and headed straight for the Slayer's Take first off, uh, where they were contemplating their next move and try, and waiting be- for Vanessa Sindrial, the, uh, Huntmaster of the Slayer's Take, to return, because she was apparently out on a mission, and, uh, the only person, there were just a few members of the Slayer's Take left, as well as her husband Merton? Yeah, husband Merton. 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 Um... The party sits around, shoot shit for a little bit, and then the doors slam open and Vanessa Cinderella is there, along with Zara and Kashaw, as we get our guest characters in at the table at this point. Um, I don't know if there's anything any of you want to talk about regarding recurring guest characters before I continue on, but...
2: Well, I mean, as far as... Uh, yeah, no, like, well, and... and
0: <laughs> Strong stance there, Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you. I I, su- I support returning guest characters. And,
2: and <laughs> I love the concept of guest characters because, especially for things like this, when you have a long-form narrative... Um, with a consistent storyline that features from episode to episode and is the common thread tying everything together, guest characters are an excellent way to a add something kind of new and fresh to the existing cast who, you know, by this point, uh, pretty much everybody has, has probably comfortable with the main cast and how they, how they interact and what sort of things you can expect from everybody. Um, it gives the existing cast something new to play off of it gives the audience something new to interact with and consume Um, and it allows for exploration of different dynamics between individuals both with and adjacent to these new characters that are being introduced at least for a short time Um, It's also sometimes a very good way to figure out what does and doesn't work. And which is where you start getting into things where guest characters become part of the main cast on occasion. Not here, but, you know, um, in in other properties, that sort of thing has been known to happen from time to time. (laughs) Spike looking at you. Right. Um, so yeah i i i love a good guest character and and it's for me especially it's because you get the novelty of something new and if you like it you can keep it going most of the time and if it doesn't work well you know it's 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 not a huge investment and you haven't necessarily potentially shot your narrative in the face yeah sorry go jeremy
1: Oh, no, that's okay. What I was going to say, what I appreciate most about about guest characters is as a narrative tool. Um, I mean, as presumably, you bring characters back because they're characters that the audience likes. You don't bring back the character that nobody liked unless you're like, I don't George know. George Lucas. George Lucas.
0: Vince, Vince
1: McMahon. Vince McMahon. Um, <laughs> okay, there are several examples of times where they ha- that has happened, but you shouldn't, as a rule, unless you have a very good reason. Uh-huh. Um, Vince McMahon does not have very good reason. <laughs> Vince um, McMahon's
0: reason is they're so vascular.
1: <laughs> Vince McMahon's reason is the same reason that I explained to to Aaron recently uh, uh, the the wrestling management joke, which is why because fuck you, that's why. (laughs) Um, I want (laughs) to see him wrestle. But... So, A, it is a chance for you, you know, one-off guest characters are... I mean, they're exactly what they sound like. They're very disposable characters or characters who generally, not always, there are times where they might, but generally don't have a huge impact. Guest characters returning are an instant way to i mean guest characters like 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 recurring guest characters are almost invariably favorites of viewer and there is nothing to get to 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 pump up uh of viewers' excitement quite like the return of that fan favorite guest character like i can't name any show That's what that that happened.
2: I mean, Uh, I will. I am not going to pretend that I haven't gone back through Star Trek and only watched the Q episodes. What are you talking about? That would be silly. I would never. I
0: think of I think of not necessarily guest characters, but guest actors in MASH. Um, uh, Why can't I think Harry Morgan uh, Mm -hmm. Mm guested like as three different characters before he came back as a full time cast member?
1: Right. Or like uh, Game of Thrones, anytime Olena Tyrell shows up, you know yeah. that the, you know that a shit's about to get real, and b somebody's <clears throat> about to get their psyche ripped apart, and, and and that the audience just got really excited. Um. But the other thing the the thing that i really appreciate as far as guest characters that's a cool part um and that is something that that a writer can use to to if they feel like a story is like you know you don't want to do this gratuitously but occasionally there's nothing wrong with oh shit i'm not going to go from here throw in the old guest character bring them back Mm -hmm. but i really like guest characters in that they are a great example of the fact that the world keeps going outside of the, outside of the, the field of vision of your party. Um, because, you know, these characters, when they left, they were in a certain place in life. And things were going on. When they come back, invariably things have changed. They have grown just like the party has grown they have new new friendships new relationships all that kind of stuff but where as you see this in increments you know uh the little bits at a time so it doesn't feel like that level of advancement Mm -hmm. when somebody comes back in and they've gone you know from a dnd aspect from like level seven to level 12 it reminds you that oh yeah remember how uh, how low we were way back when mm. and it gives this idea of this larger world around you that is still moving even when you when, when you're not there so that's what I've always loved about uh, guest care
0: for me um... And I apologize if I repeat anything Jack said. For whatever reason, my ADHD decided that I just wasn't going to pay attention to half the things he said.
2: Yeah, it's okay. That's normal standard operating procedure. I,
0: and it wasn't even like an intentional thing. It's just like I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> then I realize you've been talking and I haven't been listening. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I I love guest characters as uh, conceptually in, in 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 just about anything because. It provides a way to challenge or build upon the beliefs or the, the, the personalities of the primary characters in ways that is difficult when the only people they're ever really interacting with are non-essential or enemies. Um, you can't. It's really hard to challenge the beliefs of your main characters when the only other differing belief is the people that they're killing for having different beliefs, um, whatever that belief structure may be. But with guest characters, you can have, just as an example, uh, one that you guys can go back and listen to or watch, uh, in Grand Terra Adventures, we had Adolfo. Uh, joined the party for a little while, who was a bard from, from Luxuria, uh, and who had very definitive thoughts about how disposable you know, gang members can be. Yep. And some of the party agreed with him, most of the party didn't, and we got <laughs> to sort of experience the sharpening of those beliefs on each other and see just how... That sort of
2: created conflict within the party, but not in a way that could be resolved as it normally is. That explains so much, because my character joined Gran Terra after Adolfo had already been present. I thought they were just always that dysfunctional. Oh, they were. They oh, were, okay. but it really,
0: it really brought it up sharper. <laughs>
2: but, yeah, like... He just exacerbated it. Okay.
1: Selena was marginally better at working with the party before that point. (laughs) Or at least she had not dove quite as far into the deep end of her obsession at that point.
0: And so you can introduce this character that is already at the place that you know, was yep. heading towards uh, and then you have some conflict and some character growth there. Another example I can think of for a slightly more positive one would be like if you have a character whose family was killed by dragons as is a fairly standard d and background trope that I've never actually done for a character of mine that I kind of want to but um uh, you have a char- you have a person whose family was killed by dragons and then you introduce them to a guest character or whatever uh, who is you know half dragon and yep. is out there campaigning for dragon's rights. <laughs> you know It's like how not dragons aren't all just you know evil death murder machines. You can have that sort of conflict of interest within the party without it being a violent conflict and that can potentially alter the way that character views. What has ostensibly been their huge backstory tragedy?
2: For Hashtag not all dragons.
0: Yeah, you know you can you can use guest characters to challenge the perceptions of both the audience and the the participants, uh, in ways that are not more 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 nonviolent, potentially more safe, based solely on the fact of who they are. Um, in I think like like sort of like. In Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. using uh, using guest Inhumans to both show off, uh, you know, the variety of Inhumans in the Marvel yeah. Universe, and also to give a different perspective on them, you know, when we're bouncing back and forth between the way S.H.I.E.L.D. interacts with Inhumans versus the way the public interacts with Inhumans, things like that. Uh, but yeah, that's that. I think that that's that's that is probably my favorite way to deal with guest characters is to bring them in as a sort of a narrative chopping block, as it were. To like, this is a this character is a hard stop on this particular thing that maybe you've been a little bit flexible on. How do you react to that? Yep. Um, and and helping those characters to grow. So. Zara and Keshal come back and there is a big reunion uh, as each of these individual guest characters has met half the party they now then meet the other half of the party as the entire party is together there is a lot of uh, flirting over o- uh, a lot of flirting over Keyleth uh, which results in Keyleth feeling uh <laughs>
1: gloriously awkward and uncomfortable
0: yes and also randomly calling Vex over and pushing her over to the ground for no reason. Uh, also, which also sparked some, you know, some some interactions between Vex and Keila that we'll get to later. But <clears throat> after an uncomfortably long period of chit chat, Vanessa clears her throat and basically says, "What the fuck are you doing?" Uh, to which the uh, party begins to do their traveling salesman shtick is what I'm going to call it from here on out because it's effectively what they are. They're trying to sell Vanessa on the threat of the Chroma Conclave uh, and ask for help. I they- mean, they're, they're missionaries, <laughs> but missionaries toward dragon killing. Dragon killing missionaries, yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, they, begin to, they begin to unravel the events that they have experienced in the past few days, uh, at which point Vanessa says, they, they, they start off with a soft sell, going, hey, how would you feel about killing something that's really dangerous and, you know, potentially a threat to the world? Which Vanessa responds, if people pay me for it, sure. And then they sort of build and build and build and build before awkwardly coming out with, yeah, there's a bunch of dragons that are destroying things all over the place and we
2: need help. At which point, Vanessa. Yep, go ahead. Which is an interesting dynamic because generally, in a lot of fiction, whoever the protagonists are, are the problem solvers. And I've always loved the beat where the protagonists either are confronted with a problem that they are very much aware is way too big for them to handle. Or they're confronted with just a sheer number of problems that they do not have enough capacity to handle. You know, they could handle maybe three of them, but we have 147 of them now. And seeing the change in dynamic for a group who's used to being the solution suddenly having to figure out oh wait no we need to go find the solution now and that's always interesting to see it shift
0: yep Yep. um after getting to the point with Vanessa Vanessa responds with sorry can't help you but maybe someone can uh, and after paying Kasha and uh, 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 Zara for their assistance, take them down <coughs> to the Temple of Ayun below the below the Slayers' take. Now I think we've been to before, haven't we? When they were first,
2: yeah, that's where they got their tattoos. When they,
0: yeah, when they first joined the Slayers' take, we we return to Osisa, the patron of Ayune associated with the Slayers' take, uh, who and they again traveling salesman spiel Osisa on the thread of the dragons uh as well as well we'll get to that in a second so first they first they 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 tell Osisa you know hey bunch of dragons killing things help plus um to which Osisa says yeah no I can't help you but maybe uh <laughs> she tells them about her spout her 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 mate Uh, whose name and location she does not give them, but gives them vague clues as to how to find them in order to acquire that name and location on their own, as being part of the test for worthiness as to whether or not her mate will help them, after telling them about things called the Vestiges of Divergence, which are relics wielded when the gods walked and fought alongside their creations. Long time ago in Amman... Long time ago in Exandria... the gods walked around and they left toys behind apparently uh, i don't think we'd learn much about the divergence at this point nope
2: um now nah, that comes in a little
0: later but osisa basically explains that um there was a war of divergence uh, the vestiges were were uh, objects of great power that were used in those wars against the gods. Many of them have been buried, entombed, lost, forgotten. Uh, few that are recovered are passed down through bloodlines, through symbols of power, and seats of great political importance, but any information beyond that is not available at this time. Please check in again later. Um... They continue to ask for a little bit more information, but that's pretty much all that Osisa uh, has the information on because objects of that power are sort of generally hidden from view, either on their either on their own or by the people that possess them. Uh, she also indicates that Vasselheim is restu- has withstood. Uh, many manner of destruction and cataclysm by being insular and isolated, so while they can go around Vasselheim asking for help, it's unlikely that they will receive very much. Uh, and then passes on the information about her mate, and how they can possibly find him, or find uh, them. I don't think she actually refers to them by any pronouns. Uh, south of the Frostweald and in the mountain range that guards it. Uh, indicating that... Uh, then they sort of shift gears uh, and ask Osisa about Vecna, which goes over well. Because... I-
2: <laughs> Ayun, because foreshadowing.
0: Because Ayun, and thereby extension Osisa, hates Vecna. Um,
1: Can't imagine why
0: you know, the God of Knowledge, you know, is sort of, the God of Secrets is sort of anathema to the God of Knowledge, basically. Um, And they explain the goings-on in Whitestone. Again, using this as some sort of attempted bargain for assistance that has already been granted, the players have a bit of a issue with only getting small amounts of information. Um, The characters, I should say, have have a bit of Issue with only getting small amounts of information. Uh, Osisa explains that the ziggurat, ben, that the ziggurat found beneath Whitestone was at one point a temple to Ayun that has been corrupted by Vecna. Uh, and before she can say anything more, something draws her attention. And we learn that the Croa Conclave had ventured east, past Westrum, over the Lucidian Ocean, beyond Wildmount, into the Dremalt Ravine, where she watches them destroy Draconia and the floating islands of Draconia. Uh, eventually, her uh, she starts bleeding from the nose and can't continue on, but we learn that Draconia has been destroyed at a distance, which I liked in particular because it's a really good way of saying, of the GM saying, hey guys, time is still going while you're wasting time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and I love when, I love when stories do that, when you can find a way to point out that things are still
2: happening the the plot does not pause yeah. for exposition always
0: mm-hmm. um, and that's that's and, and and you know especially not after you've already received a certain amount of information and you're you're inclined to continue trying to dig for more in the same location this is a, like using Osisa Osisa being able to see things happening in the distance to relay this information that they can't possibly know yet is a really good way of reminding them that you've received information, you should probably get going now. Um, This also spells the end of Osisa's scrying at the moment as she has gone to the edge of her capabilities. Uh... Osisa tells the party that she will look into the Vecna issue, but for now she must rest, and that they must return once they have, once they have acquired the Messages of Divergence and proved themselves. Uh, Osisa retreats to the shadows, and the party continue, and, and the party continues to stand there, musing about what they should do, until Vanessa once again clears her throat, reminding them that they should probably head back out. Uh, after bickering for a while, the group eventually decides to turn their attentions to Vanessa and beg, borrow and steal anything they possibly can from her. Which gets as them, you do, which gets them a couple of potions and a stern reminder that she did just pay them a lot of gold <laughs> and that there are markets available. The party then head to the quad roads to visit to to find a potion shop to get more potions. Um, Zara and Cash attempting one last time to persuade Vanessa to give additional resources and failing. And as they leave out heading towards the quad roads, uh, Cash talking to Zara and saying, "Hey, you know we could just leave this problem to them since it's their problem," and Zara convincing him to continue on with it for a while because. The world needs saving and they can't continue to rest in pe- to rest peacefully if the world gets destroyed.
2: Cash Legit-
0: Cash here being the reluctant hero of the group.
2: <laughs> I mean, I mean that Cash is, is generally a- the reluctant I- every
0: It is generally his thing, yes. Um and, 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 and fortunately, in this particular case, Cash does the amount of reluctant hero that is fine, and not the amount of reluctant hero that gets irritating after a while. Right. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what I mean, saying, saying no to the call to action twice is fine. Saying no to the call to action every single time there's a call to action, no matter what it is is annoying and is a thing that I think some writers seem to think makes a character edgy or like shows shows that a character doesn't care about anything but themselves but there comes a certain point where that just stops being interesting and starts yep. being a bad character
1: <coughs> we all have time <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
0: Yes, that the and, uh, the there are yep, characters in yep. the Wheel of Time that Randolph Thor you can fuck of right the fuck off. <laughs> Randolph Thor, in particular, yes, is guilty of that.
2: Yep, Randolph Thor needs to get his head out of his ass. <clears throat> uh,
0: so yeah, if you it's 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 perfectly fine to write a character who doesn't want to just go with the flow. Yeah, but eventually that character either needs to go with the flow or be gone because they've decided (laughs) they stopped going with the flow.
1: Or not be the central character of your story. They
0: cannot (laughs) continually go with the flow while not wanting to go with the flow. It doesn't work after a while. Like, eventually Tony Stark gives in and listens to the other people's plans. Right. (laughs) He can't just... He doesn't just keep bitching about it the whole time unlike Star-Lord uh, <laughs> um, but yeah they eventually they, they, they head out to the quad roads where they go out to the potion seller a potion seller who is familiar to uh, all those watching
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: uh, the luckiest potion seller in the world until this moment
0: uh, although before that, really quick before that, there was a really funny bit between Vex and Vax that I wanted to point out of Vex getting upset on Vax's behalf at Kashaw's existence. Yep. And uh-huh. also the fact that Keshaw and Zara keep fawning over Keeleth and not her. Yep. <laughs> which <laughs> leads to the best line of the episode, for me at least, of amongst the amongst the party, not of other characters, because there is another character right. that comes up soon, but of uh, of well, yeah, you're fucking gorgeous too, but what the hell am I gonna do with that? And he <laughs> says Vax to his to his sister, <laughs> and then I mean, walks away.
1: I love so for me for for the whole of Critical Role. The uh, Vox Machina. My absolute favorite relationship dynamic is between Vex and Keelan. because it is so complex and at times con- contradictory and uh, full of of really, it sort of serves as the spoke of the wheel of all of the other, of the entire party.
0: Mm -hmm. Vax and Keyleth Um, or Vex and Keyleth?
1: Vex and Keyleth. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. Yes. uh, Sister sister and Druid, not brother and Druid. Yes. Um, And that, you know, generally it does somewhat revolve around Vax for obvious reasons, but... You know, it, it, there there's that the early on parts of it of you. You know, you that's my brother, and he, she's been really protective of him. But at the same time, she there's definitely a a even almost in the same breath as when she expresses those sorts of things is very you know like the way that she's reacting to to uh uh, uh to Zara, Zara and Cash here where yeah that's gr- the, you know vaccine and 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 is, is gross to me and hell no but that's the one it should be mm-hmm. and screw all of the outside like it, it is such an interesting and well-played dynamic that is never overdone um and, and and morphs in a very realistic subtle way over time
0: and there's a lot of different ways you can read into the emotion of this interaction that i really mm-hmm. love the one in particular being it's okay when vax and keleth flirt it's right. not okay when other people come between those two and flirt yep. instead. I'm the one that gets flirted with by other people, not cute. Oh,
1: yeah, no. <laughs> so it's like... That's the thing is there's so much of, like, what who vexes as a person.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and what could really, in a lot of other, other stories, would be just sort of a very facile on the surface kind of thing. Here it's really, really good, and it's very telling to uh, uh, who Vex is.
0: Well, and, yeah. and I and I like it because it's, it's There are a couple of different ways that you can take that that line of thought, and most commonly, writers will take that line of thought as Vex being sort of self-aggrandizing. But in this right. case, I feel it's much more Vex being protective. Yep. Because she knows how Keyleth handles attention. Right, and that's why she prefers to be the one being hit on because she handles attention very well. And Keyleth, yep. at least up to this point, has not. Then there's also the the other side of Keyleth liking this attention, even though she feels flustered by it. And it's, right. it's such a really it's such a really lovely relationship between the two of them. I really enjoy yep. watching it.
2: Yeah, and and honestly, the dynamic. <clears throat> get between those three characters is particularly specially conducted in that both Vax and Keyleth their players play them very much what you see is what you get. Hearts on sleeves, that kind of thing. Whereas Lara plays Vex much closer to the chest. She yeah. does not show her cards easily she shows a couple cards, but never the ones that she is keeping closest to her, except when the circumstances demand it, except when something is actually on the line that she cares about. And that I think is, is kind of what really accentuates all three of them is Laura's ability to let both of them just sort of have everything hanging out for the world to see while she is sort of the go between of both the the protector and the background character in a sense that really gives them the backdrop they need in order for all three characters to really to really pop out to the audience
0: yeah no it is it is a wonderfully complex and realized relationship Mm -hmm. um and is definitely i I agree one of my favorite relationships in the show is between the three between the sibling the twins and 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 keyleth yeah um and also vex offers to kilk shaw for vex Yeah. (laughs) it's like you like her want me to kill him
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: as you as you as you suggest when you know in
0: such situations i mean that's not normal <laughs> uh, so that, that 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 whole conversation occurs it ends with it ends with vax being like yes you're you're attractive but i you're my sister you're fucking right. weird. Walks off, and the group gets to their potion seller, uh, who they previously, who, who Grog previously haggled with uh, during uh, Armentata Pyra. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Vex remembers him, attempts to take over negotiations from Grog, uh, at which point, with w- which Vex attempts to help convinced Grog to let Vex uh, do this. Grog eventually steps down and the group proceed to... <laughs> <laughs> the best way I can describe this is Chicago
2: Badlands this person into... <laughs> See, it. it starts out... As a slightly awkward negotiation that immediately takes a heft into blatant extortion.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Vex tries to really fast. (laughs) Vex asks what his what all of his potions cost, then undercuts him, fails, and then the entire party gang up to threaten his life and family. (laughs) in order to get what Vex later realizes is a massive, blatant, like, theft of a product. Like, Vex starts off trying to get a good deal and then ends up just stealing the shit from him, basically. More or less. Uh, And then, especially when later realized... That uh, what they ended up bargaining for, she thought, was more than what they actually ended up getting, but was still would have been ridiculously more of a theft than what she already got. This was a this was another one of those scenes where the moral the morals of the party are flexible. <laughs> yep. And Zara and Kashaw are apparently fully on board with threatening to kill a merchant for his potions. Um, so well
1: I don't think this group has ever been shine beacons of morality, right?
2: So there's and when it when I, it comes to tabletop RPGs, there's there's a fairly famous quote that says Given standard economic pressures, all alignments tend toward lawful evil.
1: Yep. Um I exhibit think- A. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, grading this on a D grading their alignments on a a D and D scale. I fully believe at this point that there was no actual intent. Like, they were never gonna follow through on that threat. Does that make them good people for having threatened that? No. But it certainly makes it seem at least a little bit better.
0: They legitimately <laughs> but, said, how's your family doing? Yes.
1: <laughs> no, that's are fucked your, up. How are your kids? <laughs> that is fully fucked up. That said, <clears throat> this is actually pretty benign for a D&D group running across a merchant who previously gouged them super one of their party members super super hard oh yeah like the standard reaction to this would be follow him until he gets to wherever he lives that is not in the public place and either brutalize or rob or something like that
2: something between a light maiming and outright murder.
1: right this was, you know... They threatened him. That's not so bad. Comparatively speaking.
2: <laughs> and we are grading on a D&D curve here.
1: Yes, we are. We absolutely
0: are. Grading on a very, very steep curve. Ah, uh, <clears throat> anyways. After threatening this man to within an inch of his life, they make off with a variety of potions. Um uh uh sells him some literal junk <laughs> and continue off heading next some of them to talk to a man about some black powder
1: yep mm-hmm. so and I'm going to be up front here minor in minor I did not do a full critical role wiki style summary these are in bullet points
0: did it so... sound like I did one yeah
1: <laughs> Yes,
0: huh.
1: a <laughs> <laughs> little bit, um, but yes. So, uh, uh, the party runs across uh, a Victor, uh, who we remember from the last time they were in Vasselheim. Um, we do, we- and he has character progression <laughs> again. We return to the idea of this is very much what I was thinking when I was talking about that. Not that Zara and, and and Cash don't have the same thing going on after a fashion. But Victor is the perfect example of the returning guest character. Different kind of guest character, but still. Who reminds you, oh yeah, shit happens when we're not here. Because <laughs> uh, he's missing some body parts. <laughs> um,
0: learn from my mistakes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I mean, essentially the gist of this, uh, of this, you know, it's Victor and Victor is a lot of food. Victor is always fun. Victor is, is there's a reason why he's everybody's favorite NPC. Yep. Uh, he's hilarious. <laughs> uh, um, he, uh, Mercer does a stellar job with him. Um, and, and and yet he's also very valuable like he's not just a joke character. but the significant thing that comes out of this besides you know the the purchase of some 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 black powder is we learn that he spoke with a nice woman a few months ago oh. um, who also who, who who also bought a lot of black powder who is of course ripley who had escaped uh, from 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 the group back and back when they were freeing White Stone? Um, there's there are a couple other really good moments in this. I think my personal favorite is Victor' uh, sudden fascination with Vex. Will be the nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, which which Vex <coughs> being Vex is very capably uses to convince Victor not to say anything to Ripley should they, should she ever return. Um, but the party, the, 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 uh, that group exits that heads back. Um, at this point, the the rest of the party is, is, is back at the tavern, uh, and very drunk. Keyleth is super, super, super drunk um and is <laughs> there's a reason why I dri- so i want to talk about these kinds of scenes a little bit because this is a staple of 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 narrative fiction of role playing the tavern scene the scene where somebody gets drunk the scene where multiple people get drunk and it's one of my favorite things when you strike the right tone, uh-huh. because you're talking about a bunch of people who are uh, we're we're talking about heroes in a fantasy setting. They're generally pretty either good natured or stoic. One of those two. like if they if they are the depressed like edge lordy type, then they don't openly talk about their problems much. And that's a good thing, because if that's all they did, they would get really irritating quickly. Um, these scenes are always great for a way for these characters to really unload some of their emotional baggage, like we see in this situation, because Keela is, is super fucked up right now. <laughs> not just Not just in terms of alcohol but in terms of the loss of her people Mm -hmm. um and it plays out really nicely I, i really enjoy the way that because and 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 credit this to marisha she swings very much realistically frankly between like the alcohol the 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 Fun, like funny sort of thing, and to the really depressing. Um. uh so, yeah, that's something that I that I very much appreciated in this scene. Um.
2: Yeah, and there's there's a unique aspect to those moments when you yep. can take some uh, take a character and through whatever means you know and you know different different properties do it in different variations alcohol is a good go to sometimes you you know eat the wrong type of frog in the marsh whatever it is you know to 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 let the character go through that <clears throat> that inhibition-lowering process to where the stuff that they usually keep bottled on the inside is suddenly out for everybody to see and interact with. Yep. Um, And sometimes that's extremely helpful. uh, You know, when you're writing a character and you know what's going on in their head, but you haven't found a way to put it on the page so that the reader can see what's going on in their head too... Sometimes this is what you go to, yeah, uh, and and it can work extremely well when done done properly.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um. And you know, as long as there have been human, when they're having emotions, there will also be drinking. So yes. you know. It yes,
0: fits absolutely. We also we also tend to have a uh, a larger than average supply of drunks in our Final Show film games, so we might be biased in
2: that in that regard.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know what you're talking about.
2: I have absolutely no idea what you're speaking.
1: Says the people who play like fifty percent of them.
0: The thing that makes uh, me laugh is that the the people in Final Show films that play the biggest drunks are the people that don't drink regularly.
2: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> It's like. Because they're the ones that know they're missing out.
1: (laughs) I don't have to drink. I have PCs to do that for me.
0: And the people that do drink regularly do not play (laughs) drunks. I wonder if there's some implicit storytelling there.
1: (laughs) Maybe. Probably. There's probably some so, some some opportunity for personal introspection, but let's move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, um. So, uh, this then transitions to, um, somebody walks in, for about half a second, sees the group, and and, and quickly exits and it is kern it is the person that grog previously fought twice twice
2: twice because he yeah. won the second time yes yep.
1: that's right um, ripped, his, ripped his lip uh, off yep. yep grog chases him down uh not to beat his ass again but to ask about earthbreaker groom uh we learned that 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 we learn a little bit of of kern's what he's been uh what he was been up to in the meantime again back to that sort of recurring character thing uh saying that he talked to Groon he talked to Groon to try and get training but was told that he was too angry of a person um he had tried but 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 it's too angry and his task is now going to be to test someone else we call this foreshadowing foe Mm. um they do sort of a mutual show of, of, of respect. Uh, uh, there's a nice little bit of, of, a scene that I, I love here with them talking about how much it sucks to be barbarian. <laughs> um, uh, a Grog asks about, uh, where they would go to recruit men at arms for their eventual assault on the Chroma Conclave. Uh, Kern suggests the Platinum Sanctuary uh, he apologizes for. Basically, they make good with each other. Uh, meanwhile, back at the tavern, uh, 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 Zara and. and uh, where did I miss? I missed one. Oh, oh, no. First, Vax walks over to Kasha and tries to make nice with him and proceeds to compliment him, and Kasha is confused and thinks that he's hitting on him. <laughs> um, which is good humor. Uh, uh Vax tr- basically goes to to sort of uh, recruit Kashaw's help for everything that they're dealing with. Meanwhile, Zara and Vax are talking with Keyleth uh, about her romantic situation right now. Um... Which again is another nice, uh, nice bit with uh, Vex and Keyleth. Um, Vex gets the opportunity to be the protective sister here, um, but it, it plays out really well. Uh, and Vex ends up caught in a closet, uh, which makes for a a, a, a wonderful metaphor. For- <laughs> Um especially since basically soon after Keshaw basically confirms that at the best he is probably about a 1 on the Kinsey scale. Um Sorry. And,
0: uh, a 1 on the what scale? Do you not know what the Kinsey scale is? I do not know what the Kinsey scale is. Oh. The Kinsey scale is the spectrum
1: of sexuality. Developed by a guy named Kinsey back in the, what was it, 60s? No, uh, uh,
2: late 40s. Hmm.
1: Late 40s, yeah. Um, It's a zero to six scale. Mm -hmm. Zero means you are exclusively heterosexual. Six means you are exclusively homosexual. At best, Kishaza one. Okay. Look up the Kinsey scale, folks learn your learn your lgbtq history um 1948 (laughs) there you go there was a very good movie well i will say there was a pretty good movie uh uh, about kinsey starring
2: yeah who was that
1: (laughs) that's gonna bug me now uh i mean it was literally just called kinsey wasn't it wasn't it liam neeson I want to say it was Liam Neeson, yeah.
0: I love... Uh, yeah, I lo- yeah, it was, it
2: was, it was, yes, it was Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, the ratings are 0, th- zero through X... 0 is exclusively heterosexual, 1 is predominantly heterosexual, only incidentally homosexual, 2 is predominantly heterosexual but more than incidentally homosexual, 3 is equally yep. heterosexual and homosexual, 4 is <clears throat> predominantly homosexual but more than incidentally heterosexual, 5 is predominantly homosexual, only incidentally heterosexual, 6 is exclusively homosexual and X is no sociosexual contacts or reaction.
1: I mean X sort of it's not it's not like that is after 6. It's
2: just there's nowhere to place that sort <clears throat> of right outside it's, the it, bounds it, of what it's, it's. This is a two-ended scale. Yes, but sex is not only two things.
1: Yes, I mean it was the forties. Right,
2: they were they were trying. <laughs> they
1: were. <laughs> we give them credit for effort.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they get the participation.
1: <laughs> I mean to be fair, without. A, as 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 we take our greatest
0: diversion yet i just love that it's more than incidentally homosexual
1: yes <laughs> more um, than incidentally homosexual. to be fair without the kinsey scale we wouldn't be where we are now in terms yeah, of yeah
2: no it's very stepping. important stepping stone yeah. on on the path to where we are currently yeah. and hopefully we will someday transcend even where we are currently into yep. greater and better yes
0: I I, I, I love the term incidentally related to sexuality
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean there are people I'm just going to say
0: incidentally homosexual
2: (laughs) I'm not going to say who my cover band is for incidentally homosexual
0: (laughs) mine is bare naked ladies Okay, that's like, fair. Incidentally that's homosexual is a, a bare naked lady's cover band. <laughs>
2: That's a good one. Um I mean I was gonna get go, I was gonna say A C D C, not gonna lie. <laughs> that's also not bad. Yeah. I mean, Anyways Kashaw's
1: a one on the scale apparently. <laughs> anyway, yes, <laughs> Kasha's a one at highest.
0: Kashaw is predominantly heterosexual and only incidentally homosexual.
1: <laughs> uh, maybe a zero, we don't know, but right. but but he's definitely not a two. Um anyways <laughs> best diversion yet. Um so the group heads off to the Platinum Sanctuary uh where they you know they, Grog has been told that that's a place for potentially getting people plus Lady Kima's there and that's their main reason for going there. Um they go in they get met, met by Highbearer Vord um they make their case and vord uh, basically says eh no thanks i mean there's a lot more context he says that he had a vision he felt the presence of bahamut's enemy um and there's a nice little bit of there, there there's there's some foreshadowing fun here um and a little bit of symbolism in his vision Um, but that they were not able to find any presence of Tiamat or Tiamat's realm, uh, in in what was going on, and they have to help Vasselheim, and, you know, the rest of the world can just deal. That's not the exact way he says it, but that's how the party interprets it.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Everyone Um, else will be fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no, everyone—not <clears throat> everyone else will be fine. Everyone else will be fucked, but they're not my problem. Right. Which isn't what he's saying, to be fair. Like, I—I I, I always love these kinds of debates because I fully understand where Vord's coming from. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, uh, he has finite resources. He can only protect so much, and he can't just—you know—these, the, these, these. Worst word in a fantasy setting, adventurers come and say, you need to help us. And he's got a lot that he's dealing with, and he does make a very good point that if he sent people out to help, he could very well endanger the city. Um, But of course, to to the adventuring party... It sounds like I don't care about everybody else. I only care about my city. Um, I, I always really appreciate those debate or the, those situations because I know we're not supposed to sympathize with the Vord style character, but I understand he's got a lot going on.
2: Yeah, and. And he also has, I would say, because I'm I'm kind of on team board here, too, specifically. OK, so despite my own complicated interactions with religion in the real world, right, um, you know, he's he is a ranking clergy member of a definitively sacred site And has more or less been saddled with the responsibility of ensuring that that, you know, stays intact. If he goes flying off or start diverting resources to something on an entirely different continent, I don't know that Bahamut is going to be best pleased with him. Right. And Please. (laughs) please.
1: Alliance of Ridiculously Powerful Evil Dragons Pay attention To us The human Servants of The god of Good dragon It's not and, gonna Go
2: well Right Not gonna go Well And you know From Vord's Perspective I mean Despite Thinking that They're basically Gods They're not Gods So you have A whole bunch Of you have got a Mishmash Of marginally to severely disreputable people come in and say, hey, there's a big problem over here. Okay, I sympathize, but no is basically the responsible position for him to take. Yep. And they're going to interpret that how they're going to interpret that. Sure. Doesn't change that that's the responsible position for him to take. (laughs) Right.
1: So yeah. Um, so basically, he says to help that, that they will help in any way they can, but they are not offering their army to go battle, the travel out to the, across uh, across the continent to to battle. We're not
0: abandoning our right. post to, to right. deal with dragons that aren't here.
1: He does offer a champion, uh, a platinum knight. I may have typed this wrong, but Udair?
2: Yep, I think so. Udir.
1: Doesn't matter. His name literally doesn't matter because he gets knocked out by Kima. Right. <laughs> he like, doesn't. I think he might get two words out. Um, <laughs> pretty much. U- U-
0: U- Udir was, was a tall, okay. wide chested, masculine man with a very thin pencil mustache. How and That's bad. all and we you know about bad. him. U-D-I-R-E.
1: Okay, so I spelled it you spelled right. Spelled it right. I just,
0: yeah. yeah. Udiir. Okay. U-D-I-R-E.
1: But yeah, so <clears throat> he is brought out so Kima can basically be knock him, knock him on his ass. Right. Um, yes. Which is the big fan, you know, the the bit, the big viewer uh, cheer moment. Um, which plays very effectively she de- basically demands to be allowed to go um the party agrees Vord is like fine um and then they ask about the vestiges of Divert uh Vord does not have a ton of information here uh, he does know that, that they are relics from before the second spark uh, that they slew the children of the dark, but that he doesn't have anything really solid to go on outside of the fact that there are at least a dozen. Apparently, a lot of the a lot of that knowledge was lost uh, some time ago, and that is pretty much all that he can offer them at that point. But it's a few more tidbits, and it does give uh, man the opportunity to drop a little bit more of, hey, you, should, you know, I mean, they asked about it, but still, hey, you should pay attention to this. These are important. Mm-hmm. And that's where my typing left off, so I assume that's where the, uh, the third of the, uh, the the middle. Pretty much,
2: is. yeah, because at this point, they've they've gotten about as much as they can in terms of information, both from Osisa and from Vord, mm-hmm. um, and they're starting... To pick up on the whole, all right, time to move on, um, which is sort of Kima's perspective as well. You know, they they leave the the Platinum Sanctuary. They head out. Uh, you know, they have their their big reunion with Kima, um, who they fill in on basically everything that's been happening. Um, there's a good bit of talk about Western and everything that apparently went down there because that was the other place that the, the Chroma Conclave had destroyed. And it's also kind of Kima's hometown, her original temple and that sort of thing, um, which is an excellent way to sort of loop Kima in as she's not just a friend who wants to hang out with friends, but she's a fully realized character who has a personal investment in this as well. And likes killing dragons. And also likes killing bad dragons. I mean, yep. being a paladin of Bahamut, you know, sort of comes with the territory. Um, there's also a, a, a lot of of signaling here about Kima's uh, history with Alora as well, because that's another one of her primary concerns. Yeah. Um, so we get to explore at least, or at least foreshadow a bit of that as well. And then it's off to uh, wrap up the rest of what they can find in the city before heading out to sort of cover the rest of the stuff they need to do. And, you know, because they, they have a huge list of things that they need to do and they're having to narrow down, all right, sure, we need to, we need to check in with this, that, the other, all these other op- objectives and stuff and start trying to figure out what our next point is where do we start first which turns out to be the uh the braving grounds um specifically the trial forge um harking back to grog's conversation with kern and the idea that grog wants to go talk to earthbreaker groom and so they sort of start heading down that direction um The the setup for everything is really fantastically portrayed here. Um, You know they they're narrated down the braven ground into the uh, the trial forge, and it's it's an imposing environment to say the least. and as they enter grog sort of taking the lead because this is kind of his own personal quest uh and journey that he wants to he wants to speak to the earthbreaker again and it very quickly to trial by combat um the uh there's the fighting pit here in the center, as you might imagine, for for uh, a Chord a Temple, one that's, that's based around the concepts of battle and training and martial prowess and that sort of thing. And so Grog pretty much hits the sand and starts walking in. And Groon immediately... Just meets him head on and starts asking him these questions while also beating the shit out of him. Um, for and the, and the crux of of Groom's interrogation for Grog is you find your strength. Um, and he's he's instructed to to pick two of his <clears throat> his companions to to support him in this, and he uh, he grabbed he calls out Vax and Scanlan who are thrown into the pit by the other monks, uh, and there's this fantastic sequence of one monk going toe-to-toe with three opponents, none of whom are of his school of combat, and he's handling it just fine. Um there uh, the the impressive nature of it is really well conducted uh the the narration, the storytelling mechanics everything in there if if you if you want a class in how to make combat narrative in nature while still keeping the tactics and the the abilities at play, this is a great bit to watch yep. um I, I absolutely love the the nuances and and, you know, not everybody's D&D game is going to be Critical Role because not every dungeon master is Matt Mercer, but also very specifically, not everybody's players have been doing storytelling for their full time job for the past 10 years. Also, right.
0: to be clear, not every fight is this fight.
2: And not every fight is this fight. Like Even, in, even in Critical Role, not every fight is like this one right this oh, one yeah for sure right yeah and and there there are plenty of fights at critical role where it's like all right where are you guys how fast can you beat the shit out of these things excellent we move on you know um this one though is is meant to accentuate aspects of character and they do it extremely well um you know and and To his credit, Grog actually comes up with different answers every time he's repeatedly questioned where does your strength come from? Um, And then eventually, as the fight reaches its conclusion, comes up with a good answer, because as we all know, the weapons were the friends we met along the way. Um, And at which point the fight ceases because the lesson has been taught, which is a very sort of, you know, traditional monk kind of thing. Um, And the sort of ultimate form of the episode, then, you've been... and, And I like the way, at least for me as I'm watching it, it sort of underscores some of the... The sort of the themes that have been running through this whole whole arc of the arc of the narrative up to this point is that, all right, you've got this immense threat in this in the Chroma Conclave. You're looking for things that can help you defeat them. You're given news and knowledge and even some fairly clear direction, both from Vord and eventually from Groon, I believe, as well end of the episode of where you can at least start to look for these vestiges that are going to be extremely powerful tools in the right hands but it's going to be the people it's going to be the the comrades that you surround yourself with it's going to be the unity of the group and it's going to be your friends that actually get this done. Yep. Yep. And that's sort of where, and that's where Matt kind of cuts the episode, which I thought was a really solid narrative for yep. finding a decent place to land the plane on on this on this session.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, no, it, I think that's <clears throat> it's a really good way of, and whenever you're uh, finding finding a good place to end a, to end a, an episode or end a story is a really hard thing to do, and I think. Uh, while that wasn't necessarily the you know Grog saying, it's my friends, and then cut to black, uh, wasn't the way it ended. It's still that's where you're at emotionally by the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. It's a really good place yeah. to be. Yeah, because uh, this is this has very much been sort of a, an information gathering episode for the most part. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, a lot of exposition this time around.
0: Yeah, this is this was a you know okay here we know the threat. Let's talk to the people that can help us figure out what to do. And then by the end of it, they figured out what to do, and they've also figured out—at least Grog has—the most important aspect of this is doing it with backup and not alone. You can't—you mm-hmm. can't face off against the dragon by yourself. No one can one v one a dragon.
2: <laughs> well, not with that attitude. <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> no one can one v one a dragon. <laughs> it is fair.
1: If you are level twenty and it is a wormling. You absolutely can 1v1 a dragon.
0: No one can 1v1 an ancient red dragon from beyond the fire
2: elemental plane.
1: If you are Cyric and you have ascended to Godhood.
2: (laughs) and This is why I don't talk to people at gaming stores anymore. (laughs) Anyways. But yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was a very satisfying episode. Yeah. Um... And and granted, I'm one of those people watches Critical Role every week, but does sort of mentally check out during the combat sequences for the most part. So this one was really right up my alley, specific.
0: All right. So yeah, that was Return of Vasselheim. Uh, we'll be back next time with episode 44. Cranky roll, uh, which is
1: shit gets real. That's the name of the episode, whatever it is. <laughs> the,
2: the sunken Th- tomb. Tomb. Yep. Shit gets real, though. Which is, is, is a very good subtitle for that one. The sunken mm-hmm. tomb, which
0: has, I believe, one of my, f- which is one of my favorite, uh, has one of my favorite character moments between Grog and Kashaw.
2: It's a good moment. It's a good moment. It's a a solid moment,
0: (laughs) and we'll get to that next time. Say goodbye, everybody.
2: Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.